I find it very interesting that that Israel at that point in time was looking for a political savior. Um, and and Jesus made it very clear. I didn't come for that. Yeah, uh, I came for a different purpose to uh, to unlock something else on this earth. And uh, and I think that mindset is part of why he was crucified, because they were so angry. Paul Swearington here. Welcome to the podcast. And one of my best buddies is on with me today. And this is your first time on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast, but I assume that uh, Bob Prater will be on with me a bunch more times. And uh, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Good to to see you on my computer and talk to you through the podcast today. Uh, Paul, it is my great pleasure. It's always good to be seen by you. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. I really enjoy it, and, uh, <laughs> and this is a this is a real high honor uh, to be on the nonpartisan evangelical podcast. There we go. Yeah, well, Bob, let me introduce you to everybody. He is the co-host of Christian and a Muslim. You are, you're the Christian half of Christian and a Muslim, which is a fantastic podcast. Yep. Okay. So I at least get it right, Paul Swearinger. Okay. A Christian and a Muslim walk, walk in. into a studio okay yeah it's set up for a really terrible joke i like it i like it uh we could we could kind of come up with some variation of of us today (laughs) bob and paul walk into whatever we walk into exactly bob is a is a speaker Uh, maybe maybe walk into a hornet's nest go ahead (laughs) he's a speaker and author and i and i wrote down here troublemaker slash lover of people how's that for a title that's that's not bad, and I'm, I'm you know, when you love people, you get in trouble, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't that isn't that the truth? And say, isn't that- well, say more about that. Huh? That's an interesting. When you love people, you're going to make trouble. Well, okay. So, so I was a pastor. I, I went to I went to Bible college, and uh, and I, I I've I've been trained. I I know the stuff, and 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 honest to goodness, Paul. Uh, in my 40s, I think I knew everything. And and if I didn't know it, I would make things up just because the yeah. man of God must know the answer. Uh, and somewhere in my late 40s, early 50s, I started saying these words, I don't know. Scary words. They really are. And uh, and at this point in my life, more way more questions than conclusions. But uh, when it comes to theology... I remember sitting with you for the first time uh, up in Fresno uh, several years ago. How long ago was that? Three, three, four years ago? Uh, probably probably four years ago. Yeah. I would think. And we sat down at Mimi's, and one of the first things I said was, my theology is a mess. Mm-hmm. It didn't used to be, uh, but it is a mess today. But one thing I have said to the Lord is, if I'm going to make mistakes in my theology— it's going to be on the side of loving mm-hmm. too much rather than not enough. And then I gave him permission, Lord, you have permission to come and smack me around and, and shift my heart any way you want to do it. But until you do that, I'm just going to lay my life down. And uh, and yes, that gets you in trouble. That makes you a troublemaker <laughs> because because now you're 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 loving, especially when you love the unlovely. And I I sit with with people from 
different backgrounds and different cultures. Not no. not just my not just my Muslim friend, uh, the former head of the uh, Muslim community, and the well, that that right there, the Christian and a Muslim in a studio thing is uh, that's offensive to people right there. How dare you sit with a sit oh, with a Muslim? It, if you saw some of the mail I got, yeah. right right after that first episode, uh, the the one that I got more than any other was "What Fellowship Has Light with Darkness." Um, and uh, what are you doing giving this man a platform? Don't you want to know they want to take over the United States and bring Sharia law? Yeah. Uh, the other the other ones I sit with, I sit with gay people. Yeah. Um, I sit with misunderstood. I sit with broken. I sit with the the ones who just don't often fit. And uh, and it has gotten me sideways glances over the years from people. And the deeper I get into loving them the further or the more heat I can feel from the evangelical community. Like, what are you doing? You know, we're not supposed to cross these lines, Yeah. but I think Jesus would cross those yeah. lines. Don't you? I do. I do. I, I mean, you think about like the Muslim issue and, you know, uh, Franklin Graham, who's an evangelical leader speaks very openly about how evil he believes the Islamic people are. Right. And, I, I guess I kind of go back to the Bible on things like this, um, which I, I don't know. I think that's a good idea, but maybe it's I not. Do. I don't know. I got to be careful of Mike's sarcasm, though. It gets me in trouble. But if God wanted to wipe all the Islamic people off the war, off the face of the earth to cleanse it for Christian people, he could have done it very easily. All he had to do was let Ishmael die in the desert. Huh. But he sent Jesus, I believe. He, he, he manifests himself in the flesh to save Hagar and Ishmael's life and then pronounced blessing over Ishmael. So, and, and God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the end from the beginning, all of that. So he, he knew all of where we would be today in history and determined that the Islamic people were worth saving, at least by, by our Bible's account. And so to me, it makes it hard for me to say, oh, yeah, I can see that God wants us to wipe them out militarily because we're good and they're evil. I, I, I struggle with that quite a bit. Well, I, I, yeah, me too, yeah. by the way. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I also struggle with, you know, the, the creation story where, where we see, let us make man in our image. In our image and likeness, let us make him. Yeah. So. There is no one God's on this words, earth. in case anybody yeah. doesn't know. That was yeah, God saying that, that. That's God saying that. And mm-hmm. so who am I to devalue another human being based on their experience, based on their journey, based on their life? Uh, I cannot. And I, I'm telling you right now, I will not. It, it's just not how things work. Every person on this earth has intrinsic value because they are made in the image and likeness. So I remember reading something from C.S. Lewis years ago that, that has always struck me. And he said, you have never engaged a mere mortal, not once hmm. on this earth. He said, whether it's the person begging for change on the corner or a king of a nation, you have not engaged a mere mortal, not even once. And when we have that understanding, it changes everything. So everybody is, is what? Everybody's supernaturally valuable. Everybody's got value. Yeah. Everybody's got value. And, and I heard something today. I sat with a, a young man uh, named Brandon West, and he's kind of exploring some, some Eastern 
uh, orthodox philosophies within Christianity. And one of the things that he said to me today that really struck me was uh, they they see themselves as uh, salesmen, not not like human resource managers. I'm just a sales guy. Huh. You know, I'm here to tell you what's good about it, but I'm not here to write you up. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. It made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I'm not the guy that, that I'm not the punisher. I'm not standing here because I don't think that's what God is doing. I don't, I don't think God is standing over us waiting for us to screw up so he can punish us. Yeah. That's, that's what my friend Wayne Jacobson likes to call Daisy, our friend Wayne Jacobson. Yes. Yes. Um, likes to call Daisy Petal Christianity in his in his book. He loves me. He opens it with a uh, person picking petals off a daisy, saying, "I got a raise today." He loves me. I lost my job. He, he loves me not. Uh. And and it is just it's such an elementary picture to widen our understanding of how our Creator sees us. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. And I love what you're talking about theology. I think that's a really important point. I, I, my saying is always, if loving people collides with my theology, I'm going to choose loving people. And I think you, the way you say it's good, God, if I'm wrong, you, you tell me, but this is the way I'm going to go. Right. And, but I, you know, we both see it on social media, our responses from Christian people. There's this, I, I would say terror. There's this absolute abject fear that that somebody's going to lead us down a bad path. They're going to you're going to you're 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 twisting scripture for your purpose. That's the one I got the other day. Right. How do we know that we're not in doing that being led into some heresy that is anti-Christ? Yeah, I and I and I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. Let me let me just say these words, I don't know. Um but again, uh it's it's where I'm at and and I choose to actively love the least of these and, and the broken and the misunderstood and the forgotten and the ones in the corner. And, uh, and I have to believe that if Jesus were on the earth today and I, you know, I, I wish somebody would write a book uh, about what it might be like if Jesus came on the earth. Today. <laughs> well, uh, I, I know someone who did. Do you? I do. Well, you're going to have to tell me about it in just a second, but I'm telling you, if he were on the earth today, they would be saying, why is he hanging out with those gay people? Mm -hmm. Don't they know? Doesn't he know they're an abomination? That's what the, that's what the word of God says. How dare he? Who does he think he is? A friend of sinners. We miss that, don't we? We miss that in the Bible. Why don't you tell me about this book? Well, this is, uh, I'm the guy that wrote that book. And I've always had that uh, imagination of what, what would Jesus say about where the church is if he were on earth. So I wrote a, a novel that Bob is gracious me, graciously leading me to talk about called Joseph Comes to Town. And the subheading is when the religious right goes religiously wrong. And many people have received a copy of that probably who are listening today. But um, you go to my website and get a copy of it at npepodcast.com. Okay, now that the commercial's over, thank you, Bob. No, 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 because now there needs to be an endorsement. So hold on. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, for anybody listening to this today, I need to tell you, this is a book that, if you read it, has the potential to change your heart. And and this is a book that can literally change the earth. 
if it catches some fire. So if you know about this book, tell your friends. If you don't know about it, get it, read it, and then tell your friends. Um, this is a an important, 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 important book from Paul. Uh, and I'm not saying that just because he's my friend. I kind of was on with him on this journey. Um, it, it was birthed out of some of our conversations. Yep. And, uh, and I am absolutely in love with the message of this book that God is not here. He, he's not here to judge us. He's here. He, at that time, isn't here yet. He's here to love us. Yeah. And he's not mad at us. And here we go. And we go about doing what he does. It's I a think good book. I just, well, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And I, I think, you know, the first scene in the book, other than Joseph coming to town, is one that's uh, a story from my life where uh, in Fresno, they had a, a defensive marriage rally on the steps of City Hall, and our, our mayor and some of our prominent evangelical leaders were on the steps of, uh, of City Hall um, having this anti-gay marriage rally. And I, I happened to see the news coverage. I didn't go to the rally itself, but I saw the news coverage and they did this cutaway shot, as they do on news programs. And and so you see the people on the stage and you hear them talking. And then there's just this quick shot of this group of protesters to the event um, that are behind that. You, you know that police tape, the yellow do not cross tape. <laughs> the caution tape. Yes. And so there, this group of protesters is behind that tape. And I just remember sitting there watching that. And I just had a sense of what God's heart was for that moment. And just had a sense that if Jesus were on earth, he would say to me, where, where am I going to be at that rally? Do you think I'll be on the steps of city hall or behind that caution tape? And I think most Christians probably don't ever think about that question to begin with. And maybe even don't believe that, that Jesus would be at that rally at all, which makes me say, well, then why should we be at that rally? Because aren't we the WWJD? What would Jesus do people? But I don't think many would agree with me, and this was what happened in the book to, to run chapter one of the book. Um, I think he would be behind the yellow tape with those people. And, and maybe not even protesting the event. I think he would find the event somewhat insignificant. But I think the, the, the symbolism to the people behind the tape that, hey, I'm, I'm here to present a picture of who God is. And, and so it's really important for me to show you that this is where I would be. And and so shouldn't we as his followers do the same and say, hey, mm -hmm. it's not okay that you're behind this tape. Right. And and as long as you are, I'm gonna be behind here with you. And particularly when we're, you know, the symbolism of that, the seat of governmental power being the place where the event is, it, it, that is anti some of the people who are governed by that organization being put behind the tape, I just think is a really significant thing. And I think it's a, it's a mindset shift that, that we're all about and uh, the nonpartisan evangelical. And I know it's a big part of who you are and what we've talked about for years. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I love that, that picture of Jesus behind the tape. Um, I really, really, really do. Um, so you don't, you don't particularly think he would find that to be an impactful event as far as the politics of it. I, I guess I just see in the Gospels that he found arguments about 
Roman tyranny to be fairly insignificant to his ministry. I, I think he he could he was just such a visionary. He's like, hey, if I go do my work, the Roman government will be taken care of. I don't think he would he would be non participatory in government and in and in civic the civic realm today. But I think he would I think he would say, I'm not going to get too distracted by that. I'm going to go to the people that have eyes to see and ears to hear what I have to share. I'm going to connect them to God's heart. And as the kingdom advances, all of that stuff will fall away and be taken care of. I guess that's kind of the model I look at. So so based on that, I would take it that you don't think that that uh, Jesus is a Republican. <laughs> I, I don't suspect that he would be, no. Uh, and, I, and I actually believe uh, Christian Republicans, if Jesus were on earth today, would not like him very much. And that's, I know that's a hard thing for some people to hear and see. Um, now, I think I, maybe I hear where you're going and, and you tell me that, I mean, do you think Jesus would have publicly decried that event were he at the defensive marriage rally? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think he'd be standing exactly where you put him in your book. Yeah. Um, he, he was always standing with the misunderstood. And what he he came and he came for something different. I mean, I, I find it very interesting that that Israel at that point in time was looking for a political savior, um, and and Jesus made it very clear, I didn't come for that. Yeah, uh, I came for a different purpose to uh, to unlock something else on this earth, and uh, and I think that mindset is part of why he was crucified because they were so angry. I mean, even to the point where his his own cousin who who baptized him, uh, found himself in prison and was like, what is going on here? Yeah. Is he not going to do anything? And, uh, and sent his, his, his own disciples to Jesus, you know, go find out, is he really the one? Uh, remember, this is the guy that heard, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He heard words from heaven and saw a dove descend. Well, I mean, he knew who Jesus was in the womb. In the when womb. they both were in the womb, the, these yet, cousins. And yet, the political reality of being marginalized himself, being yeah. placed in prison, caused him to send his disciples to uh, inquire: Are is he? Are you the one, or are we supposed to look for somebody else? I love Jesus' answer, by the way, and because he said, "Go back and tell John what you've seen and heard," and he said. Uh, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, uh, the lame walk. And then he gives this, and so they're all miracles. <laughs> yeah. And then he gives this wonderful miracle at the end. And the poor have heard the good news. Yeah. He, he says that as evidence of who he is, as evidence of who he is. And that's just not, you know, poor financially. That's the people behind the caution tape. Yeah. have heard the good news. Good. And it's, it's, uh, and so if he's going to use that as evidentiary of who he really was, I I have to I have to base the way that I live my life based on that statement. Yeah. I believe in the dead being raised. I believe that the leper can be cleansed. I believe in all those big miracles, the ones that get attention. Yeah. But the biggest miracle of them all was number 6. And it was the poor have had the good news. Yeah. You can't you can't find a place in the gospels where Jesus points his finger at sinners and says, Be be better. 
But you can find many places where he pointed his finger at the good, and I use my air quotes, good religious people of the culture who had set themselves up as the judges of what's good and good and evil. And he often had negative things to say about them. And the interesting thing about that, and you, you mentioned this, is it's, it's what their goal was. And their goal was that they believed that God's purpose in the season was to overthrow the Roman government, which had come in and tyrannized Israel, so that Israel could be restored to its former greatness, that it could it would once again be the military and economic power of the world. They believed that was God's purpose, and so their job was to cleanse, religiously cleanse the country and, and make everybody obey God's law. And, and when I look at some of what we do as, as American evangelicals today, I'm like, yeah, same goal. We, we believe God's purpose is to restore America to its, to its former greatness. And so therefore, our job is to biblically cleanse the country and get everybody to obey God's law. And if we can do that, then his favor will come on the country again. And I think we've kind of missed. And you I think? I think Jesus. Think maybe, uh, but oh, I have friends yeah. who... And we have friends, yes. We we have friends who believe that God is withholding blessing until everything lines up with Old Testament law. Yeah. As far as well, the you know, Old Testament laws that we choose. Yeah, except the ones they don't choose, like yeah. divorce. We can we can okay. Oh, we're not worried about divorce. <laughs> and we like but, shrimp. We like shrimp. So we, we sure do like, we like our shrimp, shrimp and lobsters. And, and we like bacon. But uh, uh, yeah, gay marriage, homosexuality—they need to be stoned. Um, I mean, you can go on and on down mm. this line of how things are supposed to work. Now, also remember that that during those days, I mean, my gosh, my gosh, when you consider that uh, if a man raped a virgin, and so that could be a virgin in those days, c- girls were getting married at fourteen, so a virgin might be twelve, right? Right. And so you got a, you got a twenty-five-year-old man who who rapes a twelve-year-old. His punishment was to purchase her from her family yeah. and she becomes his wife. Now, take just a minute to let that sink in because I'm not, I, here's one of my questions. Lord, was that you? I know it's in the Bible. Yeah. Was that, was that your best? Uh, or was that just us trying to figure stuff out? And at this point in time, this is just a record of how it went. I choose to believe that, by the way. I don't have to think even a, a nanosecond to realize that God doesn't view little girls that way. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, and so we've got, we've got to figure this stuff out. And, and there, there's a great song by uh, a guy named Derek Webb uh, that used to be the lead singer for Caveman's Call. And it's called a King in a Kingdom. Can I read you a couple of lyrics? Sure. Who's your brother? Who's your sister? You just walked past him. I think you missed her as we're all migrating to the place where our fathers live because we're married in a family of immigrants. My first allegiance is not to a flag, a country, or a man. My first allegiance is not to democracy or blood. It's to a king and a kingdom. There are two great lies that I've heard. The day you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will not surely die, and that Jesus Christ was a white middle-class Republican. And if you want to be saved, you have to learn to live like him. My first allegiance is not to a flag, a country, or a man. Hmm. My first allegiance is not to democracy or blood. It's to a king and a kingdom. And then here's the kicker. But nothing unifies like a common enemy. 
and we've got one sure as hell. But he may be living in your house. He may be raising up your kids. He may be sleeping with your wife. Oh, no. He may not look like you think. Wow. That's pretty good, huh? Wow. Well, that's that's triggering. (laughs) 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 And we're talking with Bob Prater here. I'm Paul Swearingen. I'm the nonpartisan evangelical on the podcast. Bob Prater, author, troublemaker, as you can tell from what he just said. Um, tell real quickly about your book. What, what's the book you have coming out? I just want to say my allegiance is to a king and his kingdom. Yeah. The end. Yeah. I love this country, but my allegiance is to him, to heaven. Yeah. So uh, I've got a book coming out with, with Wayne Jacobson, um, who is the co-author of a book called The Shack. Right. And, um, and I think he may have even written an endorsement for your book. Paul. He did. Um, and uh, Arnita Taylor who is uh, a speaker and, uh, um, boy, she just does a lot. She's from Dallas, Texas, and, uh, and she's a woman of color. And so the three of us got together. We wrote this book conversationally. It's called A Healing Language for a Polarized Nation. Hmm. And, uh, uh, and we wrote on a variety of topics from bias to race to uh, um, the whole shebang. It's 15 chapters of us basically, hopefully, showing how to have constructive dialogue when there are differences. Because uh, so, so often, our first go-to is, what do we not have in common? What do you, what's different about you that I can latch on to and focus on? Uh, we, are, we are encouraging people to take a beat. Yeah. Just take a minute and look for common ground and begin to have dialogue there. When, when I first sat down with my dear friend, Ahmad Mirza, who you have met, uh, and he's he your is, co-host he, on the podcast. Yep. He is the, uh, the Muslim and a Christian and a Muslim walk into a studio. Um, when I first sat down with him, uh, I had done an interview for him at the local newspaper and it was contentious, but I, I cajoled him into giving me his phone number and, and, uh, we ended up at breakfast and, uh, we both realized that religion was going to get us nowhere. That was our difference. Mm-hmm. I, I looked at him. I said, did you go to school? And he said, well, yes, I, I, I've been I went to USC and I've gone to the top of moms around the world and studied. And, and I said, yeah, well, I went to school too. So um, I don't have any hope of, you know, I'm not sitting here thinking I'm going to convince you that I'm right in one breakfast. Right. So why don't we put that to the side and why don't you tell me your story, start at the beginning and don't leave anything out, which is something that I say to people. Yeah. And, uh, and so he started telling me his story and guess what? We had way more in common. We have children. We're both married. We love our families. He loves football. Yeah. Yeah. I figure I, I started to say you guys can probably, you know, get along on the Muslim Christian thing, but the USC Oregon thing, you're, you're never going to be able to get over that. That's a bridge too far. <laughs> Yeah, he's a big USC fan, a Dallas Cowboy fan. Oh, well, he's okay with me then. He even told me a story that uh, um, him and a few of his friends saved their money uh, for a chunk of time and then went to uh, Cowboy Stadium and got a luxury box. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, for one game. And he said they got on the elevator to go up to the luxury box and on the elevator were the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. (laughs) And and he said, he said, Oh, Bob. So guess what? We have that in common too. Yeah. 
where you, you know, life is life, <laughs> life is life is life is life. And if we choose to look for the things we have in common, we'll find them. If we choose to only look at the differences, those will just become bigger and bigger and bigger as we as we celebrate division and mm. uh, and as we celebrate being angry at each other, which is where we are right now. Right. right? Uh, you know, so when's the book coming out? Tell me real, real quickly. And you send me a manuscript. Out, and... the, I think the uh, hopefully the second week in November. Okay. Cool. Well, we'll keep people updated on that. I wanted to. I wanted us to chat about this this story that's been kind of breaking in our circles, uh, our kind of uh, stream of Christendom, if we could say that. Um, a, a worship leader from a very big, famous church called Hillsong, which is headquartered in Australia and is and has outlets worldwide, and is known for its music. It, it has uh, amazing music that comes out, and, right. and it's one of the things I love about the church is we really do foster music as an art, and True. we ought to we ought to foster more creativity. And I think I think we see that happening, which is great. Uh, but this guy, his name is Marty Sampson. I'm, I, I kind of wrestled with whether to put his name out there or not, but yeah, put it out there. It's out there, and he's he's very famous. Has written some kind of important songs in in again our our sort of little sect of Christianity. And he he came out this week and uh, and and basically said, "I'm not a Christian anymore." This, and, and so this is a significant Christian music leader in the church, and now has uh, from a very significant church and has come out and said. I'm not a Christian anymore. And he cited uh, sort of inconsistencies in the Bible and, and other things. And, and so I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts when, when you saw this, and it's, and it's big on social media with a lot of friends of ours. Uh, right. what, what kind of ran through your mind? Uh, well, get in line if you've got questions about things, Marty Sampson. Yeah. Uh, because I do too. Um, I, you know, I, I think about these kinds of things a lot. And, and I can tell you, uh, the hook for me uh, of Christianity is I've had too many supernatural encounters. Um, and, and, and I don't know how anybody who's ever had a supernatural encounter can ever say, I don't believe in God anymore. Um, Explain I mean, a little more. What, what's a supernatural encounter, if anybody's not, well, that, I, that's I, not I, their listen, language. I've, I've had, uh, you know, from the time I was a, a kid, the first time... And I'm not, I'm not a guy who found Jesus. I'm not a, a guy who found God. Uh, it, just the opposite. He found me. Mm. Uh, I, w- I, was, I was raised uh, in a kind of a broken environment, and, and, and there was a lot of pain and a lot of things that were happening. I grew up very, very angry. And at 15 years old, during a Monday night football game between, I think, the Houston Oilers and Oakland Raiders, on a Monday night in October of 1972, I heard a voice in my head saying, turn off the TV and go pray. It came two more times. I, I had never encountered him before. We went to church, but I sure didn't know who he was. Um, and I, uh, I finally, it was so loud the third time that I thought my head was going to explode. So I turned off the TV and went into uh, our laundry room and knelt down with my Bible and started to pray. And 15 minutes in, nothing, nothing. But I didn't know what I expected anyway. And I finally just said out loud, Lord, if you called me in here, then you need to speak to me. And how in the world am I ever going to know what your voice sounds like if you don't speak to me? And I played, I played a game. I closed my eyes, closed my Bible, let the Bible fall and put my finger on a page. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dangerous thing. It is. It was Ezekiel chapter two, verse one. And it said, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Wow. That was an encounter. And, and I'm telling you, he was in the room with me. Hmm. Now, since then, 
I'm that guy. I'm that guy. Miracles happen all the time with me. Um, I've encountered angels. I've had angels come and, and talk to me in the middle of the night. Uh, I've had these kinds of things happen. Uh, and there's sometimes that I can walk up to somebody and I, and I know things that there's no way on earth I could know. So when you have these things happen to you, now I happen to think that these things are tied into being a friend of God. Um, Wow. I don't think he's so interested in being a servant, uh, us being servants and slaves. I think he's looking for friends and partners in creation. Um, and I can say unashamedly, he is my friend and I am his. Uh, we talk constantly, nonstop. Yeah. Um, I'm always in communication with him. That's I think that's part of what Paul meant by prayer without ceasing. But I'm telling you, when you when you encounter the very God of creation this way, it's difficult to, to step away. But I understand questions. So do, so does that mean you you turn off your brain? Does that mean no. you know? Is no, there? No, no. I mean, if I if I if I turn I turned off my brain for a, a million years, and and I finally allowed myself to engage questions. We we are we are taught not to question. Yeah. In Christianity, we are taught to go along to get along, and uh, and so. Uh, I had questions from the time I, from the time that he found me at 15, I, I had all kinds of questions, but I suppressed them until I was about 50 years old and began to look hard at them and said, okay, it's like a deconstructed meal. Uh, I say you want to have a taco, but it's a deconstructed taco. You've got tortilla on the plate. You've got some meat and some salsa, but it's not all cohesive. I deconstructed what I'd been taught mm -hmm. uh, from the time I was young until Bible college and all in between, I just put it on a table. And then I, I literally picked it up one by one, each ingredient and said, what is this? And I examined it. And, and I'm telling you, Paul, it was a worthy journey for hmm. me. Uh, so when people do those kinds of things and especially, so there, uh, there were beliefs you had that you then said, I don't, this is not a belief for me anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to set that aside. Is that, is that what that looked like that deconstruction or? That's exactly what that Th like. this belief I'm going to keep. That's for me. That's for me and God in our relationship. This is not, even though yeah, I believed it, it for it a long, during long time. During that season that I discovered a man rapes a virgin and gets to marry. <sighs> yeah. Uh, it was during that season when a slave can purchase his freedom after 10 years, unless that slave is a woman and uh, the master is quote unquote pleased with her, which means in a sexual manner, in which case she cannot. Hmm. So Lord, is that how you feel about women? Cause I don't know you that way. I, I see, and see, here's a contradiction. There's that, and then the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what do we do with that, Paul? Yeah. So here's what I do. I don't know all the answers. Welcome to my world. Yeah. Um, I know that God is here. I know that he is good. I know that he is for me, and I know that he's for creation. I know he does not, not have any hatred in his heart for his own creation. Hmm. We are made in his image and likeness. And those words in Genesis, if you look at the Hebrew in that way, in, in the early part of Genesis, image and likeness, uh, image and likeness appears throughout the Bible yeah. in, in other Hebrew words, but it's a one-off. And that's an important distinction to understand. It only shows up once in Scripture. Uh, those two Hebrew words, and it's during creation. And that's got to mean something. Yeah. I, I think it's some like if if somebody came to me and said, uh, you know, Paul, your wife said you're stupid. You know, I, I would I would know. I wouldn't know for sure she didn't say that. 
but I would know that's not in her character. Uh, and so I would say, I, I don't right. believe, I don't believe she said that. Yeah. And, and if she did say it, she said it in a way that didn't mean what you're telling me it means. And so right. to me, the God's the same yesterday, today, and forever doesn't mean he always interacts with humanity the same way all the time, right. but his character is always going to be there. And so if somebody says, well, you know, God, you know, he, he loved for non-Jews to be killed, I can say, I see that in the Bible. I see that, but I know what his character is. And I know that's yes. not in his character. And, right. and that starts to allow us to wrestle through these things a little bit more. Yeah, but how do we know his character? His character was revealed through the person of Jesus. Right. That's why he came. I'm right. telling you, I'm telling you, I can hear the conversation in heaven. They're getting the story wrong. I, hey, they're getting the story <laughs> wrong. What are they doing? And here comes Jesus to get the story right. Yeah. Um, I, I, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, or maybe it's 19, uh, says not only that we are new, new creations, but it says that Jesus came to reconcile us yeah. back to the Father because relationship had been broken, right? Yeah. And it was broken by sin. And so uh, then there's this long list of how he reconciles us. No, there isn't a long list. It's one thing. He doesn't count our sins against us. Hmm. The very thing that separated us, he uses it to bring us back. It's the craziest picture I've ever seen. Here's how I'm going to reconcile you. It doesn't count. Yeah. And then he commits that reconciliation ministry, not to the Holy Spirit, but to you, Paul, and to me and to everyone else. So when I sit with people who start telling me all the stuff they do, oh, no, I will I will look at porn. Oh, no, I do this. I did this. I did this. I did this. I'm telling you, I am not phased in mm -hmm. the least. Sin does not separate us from God. Anyone who tells you that does not know scripture, because if it really did, what was he doing searching for Adam and Eve in the garden? Yeah. Because yeah. he was searching for them. And he spent time with them even after they had sinned. And so sin does not separate us, but sin separates us from us, from why we're here. From each when other. I, and, when I screw yeah. up, when I sin, he's still here. Yeah. And, and nothing has shifted except the way that I see me. And now I don't think I can do things because look what I just did. Yeah. Well, I, and that's kind of the way I look at sin now. Is sin is anything that separates us in relationship from God and yep. from each other. And, yep. and otherwise, he's gonna, the rest of it, he's going to work through with us. But I, I think this, the thing with Marty, with Marty Sampson and this worship leader yes. is if we give room for doubt and discussion, what, what has happened in evangelicalism, and the reason I do this nonpartisan evangelical thing is we're like, okay, it's all set. It's been determined. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We know it's our job to tell people what's wrong and declare ourselves right. You know, we're going to keep that line so I'm just on the right side of it. And, and then anybody that says, wait, I, I don't know if I agree with that. We then say, well, either you're going to have to get right on that belief or you're going to have to disconnect from relationship. And so I think, I think we set a standard and I'm not saying Marty Sampson's right in everything he said. I read some of his stuff and some of it maybe is a lot of stuff, but the immediate response of the Christian church that I've seen to this guy is like, Oh, he's fallen away. Let's pray that he can find God again. Instead wow. of saying, what are the questions that he's asking here? And are they legitimate questions that we need to deal with? And can we give this young man room to have this journey of doubt. Uh, okay, so 
I'm a baby boomer. Yeah. I, I, I was born in the fifties, uh, mid fifties. And, uh, and we were the generation that rose up. It was my generation that we're the hippie generation. We're the ones that said, hell no, we won't go. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and then we all put on suits and ties and cut our hair, um, and became part of the establishment. And we have forgotten who we are. Um, because we look at young people. I sit with a lot of unchurched young people and, and I hear from them. I don't want religion this way. I don't want Christianity if it is couched in politics. And, uh, and so there, there's a, there's a myriad of reasons why people are either falling away or just don't want to step in because they see, and, and Paul, let's, let's be real. They're seeing with accuracy. Yeah. It's the same thing that grieves me. It's the same thing that grieves God's heart as, as we equate a flag with a cross. Um, Sinclair Lewis hmm. once said that uh, if fascism ever comes to the United States, it will come wrapped in a flag carrying a cross. On the cover of my book, that's the pin on the on the lapel yes. is the is the cross and the flag together. Today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and so that's where we are. You know, if you, it, it, we equate loving America with uh, the same as being a Christian. Yeah, that it is and, a part of it. Yeah. And, and how does how does that work? Yeah. And young people see through the hypocrisy, just like my generation did 50 years ago. Yeah. And uh, and they say, uh, hell no, we won't go. I, I do. I, I hear that a lot and not just from young people. I hear it a lot from young people, but I'm hearing it from older people, too, a lot now that they're just saying, I don't go to church anymore. People who were Sunday school teachers, who were board members, who yeah. were longtime church people, and they just say, if, and I'm sorry, my computer keeps dinging here, but if, uh, I'm going to figure out how to turn that off. Huh? If being a Christian means that I, uh, that the whole crux of my life is centered around being against abortion and against gay marriage, then I'm out. Right. If, if I have to be staunch, right-wing conservative Republican to be a Christian, then I guess I'm not a Christian. And and that's to me that's terrifying and terribly sad because we are now those people that Jesus pointed his finger at and said you're withholding grace and connection to God from people for reasons that aren't significant to me and that's what makes him flip tables over that, oh, that's that, powerful that's what makes him angry and i i really think christians have to hear from this this musician and from a lot of other people that hey right. your partisanship and yes. this mindset of partisanship and this support of one president and hatred of the other, depending on what party they're from, is why I'm no longer a Christian. And I hear that from a lot of people. And, and I, I say to people a lot in, in the work I'm doing now, I, those people out there, they love God. They're intrigued by the Bible. They think Jesus is really cool. It's just Christians that are the problem. And, and, yep. and a lot of Christians get mad at me for saying that. And so be it. I think Christians, you need to hear this. We are not being, because uh, now we're the representation of God on earth, right? We're, if, if we're his followers, then we're a presentation of his character. And if his character is, if you've, <laughs> if you're this or you're that, or if you've done this act or this act, God doesn't like you anymore. Then God says, all right, that's not a good representation of me. That's like the uh, meme of the of Jesus doing the face palm, like, "Oh, come on, what are you guys doing?" <laughs> um, 
I saw a picture once of, uh, of a map of the United States. And, uh, and on the map were, were two beans, very, very tall beans. And, and one, I, I immediately knew one was the spirit of politics. The other was the spirit of religion. Hmm. They had been here from the beginning. And they were walking back and forth across this map. And, uh, and then I began to hear music faintly. And it was our music. It was exactly like Hillsong or Bethel. And this or, is a, this is a vision you've had. This is this, this was is, something yeah, this you is saw. Something kind of, I saw. This yeah. is something I saw just about a year ago. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I actually shared this on on the largest radio station in the South, and was followed after talking about this by Rush Limbaugh. Oh, you're uh, kidding! Wow. No, 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 no. It was a it was a and some of the comments were were less than nice, yeah. but uh, that came through. But I I heard faint music. And then it got louder. And then I saw these two spirits begin to dance together across the country from one end to the other. And then it drilled down. It was it was fully formed when I saw it. I, I saw it all at the same time. Uh, and I saw the church looking up going, oh, wait a minute. That's our music. Hmm. And the church began to sway and then began to dance, thinking that they were dancing along with the rhythms of heaven, when in reality... They were dancing along with the rhythms of hell. I am. I am of the wow. Person, you are you know, a troublemaker. I am. I sure I am. Um, Sorry, but I'm, Keep I'm going. of the opinion that politics is nearly always not from God. That government is from God. Right. But we we need to separate government from politics, and, and they can be separated. Mm-hmm. They really can. We we see we see pictures of it in the Bible. Um, but when you look at that, and then when you look at, and you and I have had conversations out of the book of Luke of, of uh, because, man, I have to be honest with you, as we have gone forward, Paul, some of my friends have said and done things that I have thought, there is no way that they know the same God that I know. Hmm. If they can support this, there is no way until you and I had a discussion out of, about a scripture out of the book of Luke. Do you remember yep. that scripture? Oh, yeah, yeah. Say it. So James and John, who are, you know, the, the Bible says John was Jesus' best friend. They were, they were best buddies while they were on our James and John, complete believers, good people, totally behind Jesus all the way. Um, and they go to, a, the three of them go to a Samaritan village. The Samaritans were a, a, an, a, an immigrant, uh, illegal immigrant population, if you will, to equate it to they something were. today. They, they were, uh, I guess, half-breeds. half-breeds. I was going to say bastards, but that's, you know, they, they were half-breeds, uh, part Jewish, part, part non-Jew. And they were roundly despised by the Jews because while the Jews had been taken out of Israel and captured by another foreign power, the Samaritans had come in and taken their land. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans and they subverted their religion. And all. And so they felt justified to absolutely hate the Samaritans. And now here's Jesus and James and John. They go to a Samaritan village and the Samaritans reject Jesus and just drive him out of town. And James and John are so incensed on behalf of Jesus, their Lord. How could these people reject Jesus? Sound like any of us today? How could Uh, they reject Jesus? Jesus, let us call fire down from heaven and destroy these people. And Jesus, uh, the Bible says Jesus rebuked them. He didn't go, yeah, yeah, don't kill them. But yeah, they're really horrible people. No, he says, you guys are way out of line. You're way out of line. And he, in the line that you're pointing to, he says, you don't know the spirit you're of. 
You don't know the spirit you are of. Right now, you're partnered with a spirit. We could call it a mindset. We could call it something demonic. If you want to go to that realm, we could call it a a long-time belief system. You're partnered with something not from heaven. Correct. Because I didn't come to destroy these people. I came to show them that God loves them. And so you're way out of line with who I am. And I think were he on earth today, you're absolutely right, would say to us, guys, you don't know the spirit you're of. You don't know what you're partnered with right now, but it's not from heaven. It's the absolute truth. And and, and as I go forward, when when you and I talked through that probably about a year ago, um, I, uh, it, it was an eye-opening moment for me because you're right, James and John, they were his besties and, uh, and, and I cannot deny that they knew him best friends. Yeah. Good people, lovers of God, the my Christians God. of their day. Yes. Yes. So, so here are my brothers and sisters who know God, who say, yeah, let's do this. And yeah, let's, uh, let's call down fire from heaven on those Muslims and let's call down fire from heaven on those gay people. And let's call down fire from heaven on anybody who disagrees with, with us. And Jesus is still there saying, you do not know what spirit you're of. The son of man did not come to destroy. He came to save. And let me, let me change your language just a little bit there, because I think a lot of listeners would say, well, I don't want fire to come down from heaven on gay people. I don't want them to die. I just don't want them to be allowed to be married. And, and I think we would say, okay, that's, that's still a version of the same spirit. You, you want to withhold something of the goodness of God from these people. The exact same. I, you know, I really like that. I am not the judge and jury Yeah, that I am not the one that they will stand, you know, be, be thankful. Everyone needs to be thankful that, that, uh, that Paul is not the judge and jury that I'm not the judge and jury yep. that, uh, uh, you know, we can start naming off names. I'm glad that they are not my judge and jury, that I will stand before God uh, at the end. And that's how it should be. And I'm telling you, um, I, I just downloaded a book. I haven't read it yet, but uh, it's by a guy named Brian Zond, and it's called Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. Hmm. And, uh, and and it just, even the title just makes me giggle. Because it's a play on a very famous sermon through the history of Christendom. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards, I think, is the one that yep. gave that sermon, sermon called uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Right. Well, I, he's not angry. He's loving. Yep. And and he chooses, again, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, he's not counting our sins against us anymore. Mm-hmm. He came for a different purpose. Roman, not, Romans 2.2 2 2 says, his, says his kindness draws us to repentance. It's not that he doesn't want us... To, to be our best selves and pull us toward that, but he's going to do it with his kindness and his goodness, not his anger. Yes. Yeah. Hey, this is probably way more theology than we thought we'd get into. I know, but it's interesting. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, and, and I think the thing is what we're trying to say is if you have an understanding that that God isn't judging me, God's not up there saying, is Paul's theology good today, yes or no? And so I have to be terrified of being deceived into some bad theology. But instead, I, 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 I'm like, well, this I know. God loves those people. And so as long as I'm loving those people, even if I'm not doing it perfectly, I'm okay with God. And then right. it takes some of the fear out of being able to love people. And I, I think, I, I, so I think what you're saying in the James and John story, and correct me if I'm wrong, the people that, that would disagree with us, we're not saying they're evil people. 
demonic nope. people, people going to hell. We're saying nope. good people who have been in an environment and an atmosphere in the church for so long that has said, maybe not overtly, but covertly, God is a conservative Republican and he demands you be one too. That, that, re- then, that we're now 50 some odd years into that yeah, mindset yeah, yeah. in America and now we can't tell the gospel from our own political bumper stickers anymore. And, and it's kind of led to some negative things that uh, even have accumulated in people like this worship leader saying, I'm no longer a Christian. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly the, the point. Um, I still think the Lord is, is, is there saying they're getting the story wrong. Yeah. They're just not getting the story right. Um, and, and, and you're uh, right. We're not judge and jury of everybody, but I think nope. what both of us would say is, I think God has given us a message to say, "Hey guys, this this isn't my best. Come on, right? Come I, on. I, you know what? You know what I carry, and and it was given to me by heaven. It was given to me by Paul. I carry the ministry of reconciliation. I get the great privilege of hearing all the worst things that people do, and then saying, I just don't care." It doesn't count. Hmm. It does not count. So what else you got? And hmm. and you want to see you want to see some uh, some surprise faces. You know, be there when I'm sitting with people who start telling me these things, and I just go, Oh, come on, really? What hmm. else you got? Yeah. You really think that's being counted these days? That that's over with. The cross was either something or it wasn't, right? Are they surprised that you, as a as a Christian leader, a former pastor ordained guy would then say, nah, I'm okay with that. Let's, let's keep talking I, that you're not I, stunned by their actions. I see, I see shocked faces, yeah. especially when, when those who have been raised in religion sit down with me. Um, and religion's good. I mean, I like, I, I don't hate religion. I think there's such a thing as pure undefiled religion. Uh, it's, it's when religion becomes the God. Yeah. And uh, and the ritual becomes the God and our and everything is based on what we've done rather than, you know, who God is. It's based on us rather than him. Right. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I I see shocked faces, especially when it's someone new. And I and I enjoy that. I enjoy it. I enjoy it because it's just the best to because the other thing I do, I'm a father revealer, Mm -hmm. just like Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. I'm not. I might say that. I might say I'm not Jesus, but I am a father revealer. I reveal the heart of the father to people who don't know him. Hmm. Wow. That's what I do. That's good. That's good. And I, and, and I want people to know there are people that are, are following us that, that they don't believe that there is a God. They, they believe God is, right. is some metaphysical force or, or some moral compass inside people. And, and I'm telling you, you're okay to be here too. And that's not where I am, Good. and that's okay. And and I want us to keep walking that out together. So let's finish with this, Bob. Bob Prater, my friend from Bakersfield, by the way. God bless ah. Bakersfield. We love it every time we drive through there and, and meet you at the cafe. But uh, um, to, so to, to some young person, maybe they grew up in church, they're struggling with their faith, they're seeing... Uh, I'm not quite as as on that side of the political spectrum as the church is. I'm, I'm. I have gay friends that I don't want to have to feel like they're going to hell. What you know? What do you say to to that person today? The love of God is not conditional. 
it is not it is bigger than whatever we face whatever we do and his heart is for you i don't know what else i can say other than that that's a good good ending right there well we're gonna do this a lot bob i'm in man we got a lot more stuff to talk about we could go on all day come on <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Bob Prater from uh, a, a Christian and a Muslim walk into a studio. A great podcast. Check it out. Uh, author of the book. Give me the name of the book again. Well, we've t- you're we working on the name. It. I think it's being called a healing language for a polarized nation. Wow, pretty clunky, but I still like it. It's pertinent for today's society. All right, well, we'll talk a lot more. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Well, thanks for having me, Paul.